don't rush away after the service. Feel free to keep chatting. And uh, if you are new, I'd love to say hi before you go. It'd be lovely to kind of uh, put a face to a name. Uh, Another little shout out if you're online. Uh, Mark and Emily are online and some of the other guys. So great to see you if you're tuning in from somewhere around the world. It's fantastic to have you with us. Uh, I've just also got a text message. It's really dangerous to have your phone on during church because people, send, people from the church community send texts. So somebody sent a text message saying, why haven't we got a car show on the 12th? I'll bring them some of my cars. Any guesses for who's, who wrote that? No, it wasn't Curb. Someone else, come on. No, it wasn't Matt. Come on, one more guess. There's only one other option. Bob Newmeyer. Yeah, that was Bob Newmeyer's suggestion. Maybe we'll turn a car show on the 12th as well. I don't know. Uh, We're in a series uh, in the book of Proverbs thinking about God's wisdom for living in LA life. And I want to talk to you this morning about friendships. I want to talk about relationships, but particularly friendships. Thomas Aquinas, a very famous old theologian, he said, there's nothing on the earth that's more to be prized than true friendships. Um, I suppose if you're like me, deep down, we long for deep friendships with other people. We long to have those kind of people in our lives who we can like just be us without having to pretend, without having to try really hard. We just long to have those people who we can wear our pajamas around and just chill out. But I think at the same time, it feels like, and sociologists are telling us, that we're living in, in something of a friendship crisis in the world and in our lives. We face challenges to having deep relationships with other people for a number of reasons. Um, Maybe the first is that we live in a place where relationships are becoming fragmented. Uh, Divorce rates, family breakdown, all of those kind of things are impacting our ability to have deep relationships. We have increasing stress on our lives. We've got things just pressuring our time whether it's our work, whether it's our kids' lives, whether it's other kind of family pressures coming against us. We are uh, two years in, or whatever we are, 18 months into to a global pandemic, which has stopped us moving around so much. It's stopped us from socializing in maybe the ways that we used to. And then on top of all of those things, uh, something that's been happening for 20 years now, we are like moving more and more from physical relationships to virtual relationships, right? Uh, 20, no, more than that, if I'm honest, yeah more than 20, 30, 30 years ago maybe, when I, when I was growing up, like when I wanted to see my friend, I got on my little bike, I rode down my street, I knocked on his door, and we used to go and hang out and ride our bikes and kick a ball around or something like that. By the time I got to middle school, there was this cool thing called the cordless telephone. Remember those where you pulled the aerial up out of the top? And it, have those, and it only was good for about 15 minutes before it ran out of batteries. And one of those. And, and so I would phone up my friends. Uh, by the time I got to high school, things had changed rapidly because we were suddenly into the dizzying new world of, of messaging. Anyone use ICQ back in the day? You've never even heard of it, have you? MSM Messenger? Come on, yeah, MSN Messenger, that was the one. You know, we were into that world. And increasingly over the last 20 years, what we have seen is this move more and more away from physical relationships to social media relationships, to messenger, to texting kind of relationships. And I think here in LA, like, there's stuff that we have to face too. Uh, we live in this huge, great city, which is really a county. And some of us live like 30, 40 miles from one another and are increasingly facing the big, crazy traffic on the freeway again, which makes hard. We have a dynamic, obviously not, not casting like 
uh, too wide a net, I'm not, not criticizing, but uh, we've experienced that there's this kind of thing about networking relationships that can be true in LA, where people want to know you, but really what they want to know is they want to know how they can build their career or get opportunities through you. Um, and then, which has been really like a, a surprise and a challenge, is that the transience of a big city like LA. Right? We've only been here under three years, but even in the three years we've been here, we've, we've got lots of friends, Laura and I, who we thought, oh man, you're going to be great friends of ours, and now they live in Nashville, right? <laughs> or, or wherever. You know, they, they've moved. This is a city which is constantly on the move. Jacqueline Olds, who is the Associate Professor of Psychiatry at Harvard, she says this, Americans are more isolated and lonelier than ever before. Despite having seemingly endless ways to stay in touch through communication technology, social media, most of us don't know our neighbors. We frequently change jobs and we move, often leaving extended family and friends behind. We feel guilty just talking on the phone with a friend when we could be working. Ours is a very transient and fast-moving culture where it's easy to become socially disconnected. But I think, and we're going to talk this morning, about why it doesn't have to be this way. I want to talk this morning about God's plan for relationships, God's desire for friendships. And so we're going to talk this morning about the need for friendships, finding friends, cultivating friends, and the model and the power for where we even begin the concept around friendships. And we're not going to have one particular Bible passage this morning. We're going to be jumping around through the book of Proverbs. So as always, if you have a Bible, if you have a phone, if you have something in front of you, that will help you. And it's going to be fast. So it's going to be like sword drills, if you ever remember those back in the day when you had to find a Bible passage fast. But we're going to go through some different verses and different passages. Okay, let me pray. Father, we love you and we pray this morning as we delve into your word that you would open up our hearts, you'd open up our eyes, you'd open up our ears to hear your desires, your passions, your calling on our lives. Amen. So believe it or not, the Bible helps us to see uh, that we need friends, that we have a need for friendships. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Proverbs 18:24 says this, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Uh, friendships are not optional. In fact, the reason the friendships and relationships are not optional is because God is a relational God. Before God ever created the world, there was God Father, God Son, and God Holy Spirit. There was a wonderful sense of relationship, and it was out of the relationships that God created and birthed the world. In fact, he said to Adam, like, don't be alone. And he put Adam and Eve together. God has created us for all sorts of different types of relationships. I mean, we have parental relationships. We have siblings. We have spouses. We have children. We have colleagues. We have acquaintances. Lots of different types of relationships. But we also are called to have friends. And I think friendship actually gives us something that other relationships don't. In fact, they give us things that family doesn't give us. They give us things that romantic relationships don't bring us, that even our neighborly kind of relationships don't bring us. And one of those things is that, that friends, great friends, have this wonderful sense of continuity and longevity in our life. Proverbs 17, 17 says this, A friend loves at all times, whereas a brother is born for adversity. You know, you can have those kind of crisis relationship with your family, can't you? I don't know if you have this in your family, but like whenever I call up my parents, I reckon my parents are waiting for me to ask them for something. You might, you might be the other way around now if you are a parent of all the children. You might be expecting your children to ask you for things. But when you have those deep, long-term relationships, there's that sense of continuity and partnership, isn't there? 
Uh, Laura and I, we went back to the UK uh, over the summer, and we saw some of the friends that we have known f- for years. And we didn't get a lot of time, but we, we just got a few lunches and things where we got to go and hang out. And the wonderful thing about great friends is that when you see them, even if you haven't seen them for a long time, it really only takes like a, a hug And then you just pick up your relationship, don't you? You just carry on. It's like you've not even been apart. You just, there's, there's almost no break because there's that wonderful sense of continuity with those people who have walked the journey with you. But friends also, they, they form us. They make us in many ways who we are. Proverbs 22, 24, and 25 says, Make no friendship with a man given to anger or go with a wrathful man lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. That you are a product of your friendships. And when, when kids are little, we say, don't we, that, that, you know, that parental relationships, that family relationships is the most important. But as we grow up, it's actually in many ways, it's more of our friends that make us into the people that we are. It's why our parents say to us, like, don't play with the naughty kid in, the, in school, right? Don't hang out with him. And we think, that's really unfair because I am the master of my destiny. I will be who I want to be. And then we realize a bit later on, no, actually we are a lot like the people that we choose to hang out with. Our friends grow us. Our friends can bring out the very best of us. In fact, our friends can do more than that because our friends can actually help us to become the people that we were always intended to be. Uh, C.S. Lewis, who's a very famous theologian, author, Uh, he reflected on the death of his friend called Charles in a book, and he said this, In each of my friends, there's something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald Tolkien, who's another friend of his, the guy who wrote Lord of the Rings, by the way, his reaction to a specifically Charles-like joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself, now that Charles is away, I actually have less of Ronald. That there's something beautiful in the community of friends. It's one of the reasons we say here at Vintage, we want to be a community that feels like a great family, because it's in the community of laughter and shared relationships that we find out more of who we're meant to be. Um, I, I discovered this uh, when I was probably just about 30. Um, some of you know my, my story a little bit, and I, I did my undergraduate business stuff when I came out of high school and I went on and had a business career. Uh, but when I was somewhere around 30, 31, I gave up my suit and my tie and my company vehicle, and I got a backpack and a pair of jeans and a bike, and I went to seminary. Um, it was a very weird experience, and as you can see, I clearly haven't got back anywhere. I'm still, still stuck somewhere there. Um, but I arrived at this seminary in London, and for three years, I would go up to London, and we would hang out as a group of people who, just like me, other people who had not gone straight to seminary, but gone and done other things with their lives. And we made the most fantastic friendships with one another. We would go to London during the weeks, but also at the weekends, often we would be away for like long training residentials in these conference centers. And it was a bit weird going there in our 30s, because what would generally happen, because a lot of us were like young parents by that point, is that we would, we would go away, and about six o'clock in the evening on these residentials, we'd all pick up our phones, and we'd phone home, and we'd go, 
Are you okay? Have you been behaving well? Is everything all right? How, how's the situation at home? Okay, you'd be really nice to your brother or sister. Okay, fantastic. Goodbye. And then we would put down the phones and then go and have a party <laughs> in the evenings. I think to this day I still haven't fully repaid Laura for those three years when I got to go away and have fun while she was stuck at home changing diapers. Um, but as friends, we actually brought out a lot of each other's character. We found things about ourselves. I found out that I'm actually much naughtier in my 30s than I thought I was. Um, on the last residential of our three years, I thought, you know, we, need, we are final students, final year students. We've got to leave with a bang. And this was kind of a new seminary. And I thought, we have to set a tradition here for leaving properly. And so somehow, uh, I managed to persuade some of my friends to go with me to the grocery store to buy a mackerel, uh, which if you don't want those, it's a very smelly fish. Uh, and we thought, this would be a great idea. Let's take the mackerel and hide it under the bed of the principal of the seminary. Uh, so... <laughs> We broke into his room one evening, and we hid the mackerel under his bed. Now, we assumed what was going to happen was that the next morning he would wake up and discover the mackerel and be kind of laugh about it because everything in his room would have stunk. Bizarrely, he woke up the next morning and did not notice the mackerel under his bed. In fact, all he noticed were his feet and his shoes didn't smell very good that day. It was, it was only a week later when, when the big conference center phoned him and said, Reverend Emerton... Uh, I don't know if you accidentally left a mackerel under your bed when you stayed with us last week, uh, but we have had to put the bed and the carpet and all the soft furnishings from that room into the trash because it smells so bad. I had to own up that I had been the instigator of that prank. They still let me out of seminary with a degree, so don't worry. I, I did qualify. But there was something of like fun. There was something of silliness. There was something of like things that we'd, I'd actually forgotten about myself that we found with that community of people going through that experience together. But finding friends is hard. Um, William Derisovich, who is the author and former professor at Yale, he said this, friendship is devolving from a relationship to a feeling, from something people share to something each of us hugs privately to ourselves in the loneliness of our electronic caves, rearranging the tokens of connection like a lonely child playing with dolls. Gosh, that's... Challenging stuff, isn't it? So how do we find those kind of deep, meaningful relationships? Where do we even begin that process? Well, first clue, I think, is in Proverbs 18, 24. It says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. What the author is saying is that you can know a lot of people. If you're on social media, you might be the person who has 5,000 friends on social media or 5,000 followers. But, for, but uh, acquaintances are different than friends. I, I had a mum who, uh, growing up, seemed to know everybody in the world, or that was my impression of her. Uh, we lived in these strange different countries, and bizarrely, we would go to an airport somewhere, or we'd be on a beach somewhere, or we'd be uh, at a restaurant somewhere. And strangely, she had this ability to turn to the person next to her, and within five minutes, realize that they were actually long-lost friends, and that they knew each other, and that they hung out together, and that they had knew all the same people, maybe that they went to the same school. That seemed to happen continuously. Now, my mom didn't actually know those people as friends, but she knew how to make acquaintances. And some of us are really good at making acquaintances, knowing lots of people. But an acquaintance and a friend are actually very different because a friend is something much deeper than that. And so in order to find those deep friends, actually one of the first things we need to do as we discover those friends is we need to realize what it is that joins us to another person. 
when we discover it. C.S. Lewis, again, he says this, friendship is born at the moment when one man, I suppose one woman too, says to another, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. You know, like when you you find out that somebody has a shared interest with you, that's something really random that nobody else does. Like, I thought I was the only person in LA who liked Formula One until I met another pastor who also likes Formula One. Um, Your your thing might be, I don't know, knitting or, I don't know, (laughs) sewing or bungee jumping or whatever it is. But one of the great ways that we can build friends is when we realize that the person next to us shares the same things that we do. C.S. Lewis says that actually when we find what's shared between us, that that is a great grounds for relationship. He writes this, he says, this is why people who simply just want friends can never make any. The very condition for having friends is that you would want something else besides friends. If someone asks you, do you see the same truth? And your honest answer is, I really don't care about that. I just want you to be my friend then no relationship can arise. There would be nothing for the friendship to be about. Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. You see what he's saying? In order for us to have friends, we actually have to be on a journey. In order for us to have friends, we actually have to have things that are going on in our life. This is the beautiful thing as a Christian, is that when we become Christians, when we realize more of who God made us to be, then actually we become more the people we were designed to be as we realize more the passions and the things that God's put in our life. Then it makes us actually more ready to connect with other human beings. I wonder what those things are that God's put deep in your heart, those passions, those desires, those things that you love that maybe you think nobody else loves. It's one of the reasons we talk a lot about spiritual gifts here, because we realize that as as you find out who you were made to be, and you find other people who have also got similar passions to you, that can make for the most beautiful, incredible relationship. But I suppose that sort of asks the question, well, okay, Ben, are you saying we should just hang out with people who are exactly like us and also like knitting like we like knitting? And I want to say, in a Christian sense, well, maybe but also maybe there's something more than that too in a Christian sense. And the reason is, is this, is that if you are a Christian here today, if you would call yourself a Christian, then actually you and I have something amazing in common. We have a shared interest that's actually more and greater and more important and more life-transforming than knitting. We have a shared interest that is more important than our favorite sports team or our favorite food or our favorite holiday destination. The shared interest that you and I have together is absolutely monumental. The shared interest we have is Jesus Christ. And if Jesus Christ is the most important thing in your life and he's the most important thing in my life, then guess what? You and I have a shared interest that makes a grounds for a wonderful relationships for wonderful friendships. One of the reasons I think that the local church is the hope for the world is that we get to come together across incredible diversity, people who would not normally hang out together, and we get to do it as family. We get to do it as friends together. Why? Because we have Jesus Christ. Because of our desire to see his kingdom come on earth. Proverbs 22, 2 says this, the rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. When the Apostle Paul, he's speaking to this church who are completely divided across all sorts of different lines of people who wouldn't normally be together. In Galatians 3.28, he says this, 
There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Later on, when we see this vision of what heaven will one day look like in Revelation chapter 7, it says this in 9 and 10, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You and I are shoulder to shoulder. You see, like a romantic relationship is like one where you look into the other person's eyes and you fixate on how wonderful they are. I mean, like Kirby and Rachel, when they go out, you know, on a Friday night and they they sit at their favorite French restaurant, which may or may not be in Old Town Pasadena, and they look at one another in their eyes and they say, you know, you are so beautiful. You know, your eyes, your, your cheeks, you know, your wonderfully slightly receding hairline that's not as much as the pastor's, you know, whatever it might be. They look into each other's eyes. They're face to face. That's what a romantic relationship is. But you see, a a great friendship is not face-to-face, it's actually shoulder-to-shoulder. It's partnered together with a common purpose, with a common vision. You know, if you're part of this church, we want to invite you to be friends with us, to be part of this story, shoulder-to-shoulder, as we see God's kingdom comes. You know, we realize, as Christians, we have the most wonderful thing in common, Jesus and the advance of his kingdom, that we are all sinners, that we are saved by grace. And as we look at Jesus... We're able to say, me too, isn't he awesome, right? So that's a great basis for friendship. But, but how do we cultivate those friends once we found these wonderful, great people to be friends with us? Well, great friends need different ways of growing. And Proverbs gives us four different clues, four different drivers, which I want to go through really fast with you towards great cultivated friendships. The first one is this. It's constancy. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend, we looked at a minute ago, a friend loves at all times. Whatever the kind of relationship you are looking to develop, you actually can't develop that relationship unless you are prepared to commit time and effort into it. That little phrase, uh, at all times, it doesn't mean like at every moment of night and day. You don't have to go home from this thing and text your friend every 37 minutes. Are you still okay? Can I come around your house? I just want to check in with you. That's probably not a great way to cultivate a friendship. It might just annoy them. Um, in fact, look up Proverbs 25, 17, if you want to think about that. But the all times actually means all types of time. If we want to have great friends, we actually have to commit to our friends in the good times, the bad times, the ordinary times, the routine times. Uh, I've got a friend called Dave, and Dave lives a long way from me, but he has this supernatural spiritual ability to somehow know when I'm having a difficult day and to text me. He just texts me, hey man, how are you doing? I just want to check in and check that you're okay. Great friends are actually committed to be with one another along the journey of life. That's why I love, I love community groups so, so very much, because it's a group of people who say, like, once a week, we're going to commit to one another. We're going to do life together. We're going to hear each other's stories. We're not going to pretend. We're not going to put on a false self. We're just going to do this thing called life. And I know that that's hard, man. I mean, gosh, in this city, doing intentional life together with other people for all the reasons I said at the beginning, like, feels difficult. When I was 21, it was super easy to play on my football team. And every Saturday morning, we get up at 7 and we go and play against some other team all morning. 
And then in the afternoon, we'd hang out and have food. And then in the evening, we'd go to the pub together. It was easy. Now, if I'm really honest, it's easier to take my headphones, to plug in my podcast, to go down to the gym, and to talk to absolutely nobody for an hour whilst I crack on, right? It's easier to do that when we're busy. But to cultivate friends means actually something of a constancy to commit to another person and saying, I am going to invest in my relationship with you, whether it suits me or whether actually it feels quite hard today. The second driver of great relationships, Proverbs tells us, is honesty. Deep level of honesty. Proverbs 27.9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Proverbs 27.5 and 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, whereas profuse are the uh, kisses of an enemy. Like a great friend is somebody who is deeply honest with who we are. In fact, a great friend loves us so much, and we love them so much, that actually we won't let them drive the car off a cliff by accident or have some sort of problem in their life because we commit to help them to walk the journey, to help them become who they were created to be. Um, I remember when I was just a teenager, there was a guy called Ron Cannoli. Do you remember Ron Cannoli? Anyone remember him? You've got to be of a certain age. He was like this amazing gospel, like big dude who um, wrote a lot of worship songs in, in that era. And he was a pastor of a mega church. And uh, his, his church was invited to go to Tondo in the Philippines, which is a, sort of where a very poor area of Manila, and to do these outdoor like gospel um, concerts. And by some really strange quirk, uh, my little youth band in Hong Kong was invited to go and be like the support act to Ron Canoli's big gospel outdoor thing. And so we practiced so hard, and we got ready, and we went to the Philippines, and we did these most beautiful, fantastic evenings where people came to faith. And, and it was stressful, and it was hard, but it went really well. And we, we got back uh, to Hong Kong, where we were living, and, uh, and my, my friend, who was the drummer, and you don't always have to listen to drummers, because they're not always right, you know, sometimes they're not right. Um, but, <laughs> but he said to me, Ben, that was such a great trip, but, but there was this thing, it's like the whole trip, we were there for two weeks, not once did you ever tell me or anybody else that we'd done a good job. Not once did you ever encourage us. Not once did you ever say, well done. And I thought, like, how can that be? And I realized that I had really annoyed everybody on that trip for two weeks because I had been the guy who was like, we've got to do better. We've got to be faster. We've got to be stronger. We've got to work harder. We made mistakes. You know, I was so con- caught up in, like, trying to do a good performance that I totally blasted through all the relationships that I had. But my friend said, look, man, you've just annoyed everybody you know. I just think you need to deal with it. And I love my friend because he told me that. And even to this day, I have to remind myself, oh, yeah, okay. In the midst of stress, don't get caught up. You've got to encourage the people around you. Good friends are honest with us. The third thing, and don't worry, we're going to go through these fast, is a great friend has curiosity about us. A great friend wants to know about the other person. Proverbs 18, 2. Fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. Now, let's be honest for a minute. We all secretly like to talk about ourselves, don't we? Maybe you don't, but I think, I think a lot of us do. Um, Bette Midler, she said in the beaches this famous line, enough about me. What do you think about me? <laughs> Brian Regan, he calls them like me monsters. 
those people who we know who, who basically want to be with you, but then actually just spend the whole time sharing their stuff with you. And then suddenly they'll ask a question about you, and somehow, even within 15 seconds of asking the question, they've managed to turn the conversation back to their own experiences about that situation. That's not a basis for a great cultivated <laughs> friendship. Friendships that are cultivated are other-centered. They care for the other. There is a mutual curiosity that allows us to delve deeply into what serves and blesses another. And then the fourth one is this. Uh, Proverbs 27.9. The pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel. And the word counsel there actually means to come from the heart. It means the secrets. That to have great friendships, we actually have to have a closeness, an intimacy, a truthfulness. To have great friends actually means allowing somebody in to our lives. And it's quite easy sometimes to keep friends out there and say, you know, how was the game? How was the weather? How are the kids? But to cultivate a great friend means we have to allow somebody into our lives to allow them to speak truth, to speak love into the places. It means taking off the pretense. It means stop pretending that we're somebody that we're not and just allowing somebody to know us for who we are. Now, we have to be a bit careful. I'm not suggesting that you do that with everybody. I'm not suggesting you go and talk to a random person on the street and go, hey, tell me about myself or tell me what I do wrong or any of those kind of things. Probably isn't going to go well. But I mean, who are those people in your life who you've just intentionally said, I would just love you to speak to me. I want to tell you some things that maybe a lot of other people don't know about me. To find those people who we can confide in and trust, to have that transparency and that vulnerability. I think that's an amazing key towards great relationships. So as I finish, like, how do we do this? Because this can feel very overwhelming. Yeah, you know, I think Laura and I, we've arrived back in to LA this summer and you know, we're, we're trying to figure out, like, wow, well, man, how do we build friendships when you're pastors? It's a kind of weird relationship sometimes that you have in friendships. But like, how do we build relationships with people who are at the same life stages as us? How are we going to like, work out who we can invest deeply in these coming years? And, and I realized that I need a model to help me with this. I want a model for friendship that is honest, constant, curious, someone who is close. And I realized that before I can build friendships with other people out there, that I need to have a friendship that goes very deeply in my own life. And that's my friendship with Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate friend that you need in your life. In John 15, 15, Jesus says, No longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. Jesus calls you friend today. He looks at you and he loves you and he says, I want to be your friend. And when we get that relationship right in our life, then actually we're in so much of a better place to be in friendship with other people. You see, if you're trying to find a relationship with somebody else, but you are empty, if you are incomplete, if you look at a relationship with thinking, man, if that person could just fill that huge gaping hole in my life, then everything will be okay. And I can tell you, you are running for a disaster. When people, when we do marriage prep and people come to us and say, like, I'm so glad I found this person because I was just, had this huge hole in my life and I was totally incomplete, but this person is going to complete me. Then all the red flags start going up in marriage prep. It's the same in friendship. If you are trying to find another human being to complete you because you are a mess, they won't. But when you find a relationship with Jesus Christ, when you find out what it means to be friends with the creator of the universe, when you find yourself secure in friendship with him, 
then you are able to give yourself to others. When you find that you are secure in his love, then you can be curious and care about others. When you are secure in his value of who he says you are, then you can give and receive honesty. When you are secure in his acceptance and his grace, then you can be transparent about your weaknesses and your failures. When you are complete in Jesus, you are in a wonderful position to be complete and to build relationships with other human beings. When you make Jesus the friend that your heart needs and desires, then you are ready to be the friend that those around you need in their lives. And so would you pray with me, and then we're going to come to communion, we're actually going to take a moment to really think and reflect on Jesus together. And as we come to prayer, let's, let's just be honest between us and God about, about how we feel about our own relationships today. Maybe you have a sense of optimism and excitement for the year to come. Maybe there's a sense of loneliness or loss. Let's just invite the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to us again. The Jesus who says, I call you friend. Come Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. One of the things that the prayer team um, sent me, as well as what John and Tammy said earlier, is they said they felt a, a presence and a declaration of hope and breakthrough in the midst of uncertainties, maybe to do with community, friendship, job, future, something like that. And so, Lord, for for any of us who feel particularly lonely or sad or lost today, we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would come and comfort us. Thank you that you love us. The most amazing thing about Jesus is that he, as a friend, gave everything for us. And uh, we're going to take communion together. And uh, if you want to join in, you can use the words. And we're just going to reflect on the goodness and the sacrifice and the love of Jesus. And uh, there'll be an opportunity, if you want to, to come up in a moment and take some, some bread and some grape juice as a way of remembering his sacrifice for us. Feel free to join me with these words. The Lord is here. His spirit is with us. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It's right to pray you thanks and praise. It's right to praise you, Father, Lord of all creation. 
In your love, you made us for yourself. When we turned away, you did not reject us, but you came to meet us in your son. You embraced us as your children and welcomed us to sit and eat with you. In Christ, you shared our life, that we might live in him and he in us. He opened his arms of love upon the cross and made for all the perfect sacrifice for sin. On the night that he was betrayed, at supper with his friends, he took bread, he gave you thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. Father, we do this in remembrance of him. His body is the bread of life. At the end of supper, taking the cup of wine, he gave you thanks and said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we do this in remembrance of him. His blood is shed for all. As we proclaim his death and celebrate his rising in glory, send your Holy Spirit upon us that this bread and this wine may be to us the body and the blood of your dear Son. As we eat and drink these holy gifts, make us one in Christ our risen Lord. Um, And so uh, Ali's going to direct you, but if you would like to, if you call Jesus Lord and Savior, you are so welcome just to come up and just take a little uh, cup of juice and a little bread um, as we remember uh, Jesus' death and resurrection. And as we do, the prayer ministry team are going to be around the back of the room. Uh, if you would like to pray with them for any reason, uh, they would love to pray with you. Um, and when you've taken communion, if you want to stand and join Ben as also as we worship, um, that would be fantastic.